to be in the house of the Lord. That's all right. Better late than never. From the mouth of babes. I tell you, we can learn a thing or two from, from children sometimes. Just like that young lady up, was up here testifying earlier about her, was it your son or grandson? Grandson. Climbing up on that chair to see what was going on up in the service. We, we've come a long way because, I mean, back in the days of when the Bible was still in its development, you know, we had people like King David saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go in the house of the Lord. Well, now we're in a generation where people are saying, I was glad when they said unto me, you're dismissed. We need to get back to the days where we're glad when when service starts, not, not when it's over. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I am uh, honored to minister. I'm always honored to minister here, but I'm especially honored to minister on such a wonderful, wonderful occasion as pastor appreciation because... Let me tell you, God has blessed this church with a great pastor. And it's obvious that the women of the church know that more than the men because they won the game. So, it was mostly guys testifying. I thought, well, that's kind of odd. The women won the game. They should be the ones testifying, giving these testimonies. The guys, they don't even know their pastor and his wife well enough. They're, it's the women. I, I'm behind you, women. You, you should have been you. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so now we got a controversial. It was rigged. We'll, we'll have to look at the numbers later here. But it's good to have my family with me. Um, the other half is off at college, and I have my wife and my youngest son. If it wasn't for him, we'd be empty nesters this year. So I'm glad he's around because he makes me feel young. Keeps me young. But uh, if you have your Bibles, thank you. I give honor to your pastor again. I, I appreciate the invitation. Um minister here again. Um, I want to take your attention to Romans 6. Romans 6, starting with verse 1 and reading through verse 5. I'll state again, it was stated earlier so eloquently uh, by the uh, wonderful lady that gave honor. It is tough for a pastor. Sometimes he's got to tell you things that it was said more than once that you don't want to hear. And it's not easy. It's not easy looking into the face of somebody that you care about, knowing good and well that the words that's getting ready to come out of your mouth may not set well with them. It's not, it's not an easy thing. 
it's easier to just sometimes tell them what you know is going to make them feel good. Because it's not easy having those eyes stare back at you. Thought, oh, I thought you loved me and now you're telling me this. Let me tell you, sometimes the tough words is because of love. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ we uh, was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we should walk in the newness of life for If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. See, we all want to talk about the resurrection. That's the good part. But not the death is not the good part. The not so good part. But it's like as. Like as we have planted together in his death, we shall be in the resurrection. Sometimes living for God isn't the easiest thing. You got to be willing to die out to some things. You got to be willing to let your pastor, your man of God, speak into your life. Challenge those things. 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. Starting with verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom preach the word be instant in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine now Paul's writing to Timothy here watch what he says He says, preach the word. And in verse 3, he turns and says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Timothy, the people you're going to teach, the people you're going to preach to, there's going to come a time when they're not going to endure what you're telling them. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They're going to vote you out. They're going to go look for someone else that's going to tell them what they want to hear. We think people that are rebellious, they don't want anyone telling them what to do and they don't want any teacher in their life. The Word of God says otherwise. They don't mind having a teacher just as long as you just, it aligns with what I want. He said, but after their own love shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables I pro- I'm not, I'm not going to end on a negative note it's, it's, it's going to sound like a bit of a challenge what I'm going to preach but just bear with me deaf ears and wasted grace 
Now, every time I've come here, I've always come here with a, a pretty uplifting message. And I, this is not going to be the exact the opposite of that. But it will be a little bit more challenging. But I think I've been here enough that I think I can deliver this. Because you know my heart. I love this church. I care about this church. And I care about your pastor. I want to talk to you on deaf ears and wasted grace. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy. God, we thank you above everything else. We thank you for your word. God, your word is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Your, your word, God, directs us. God, it shows us right from wrong. It shows us what pleases you and what displeases you. God, we ask you, Lord, to give us a love for your word. Give us a love for the word that you have pinned on, on the pages of what we call our Bible, God. God, we ask you, Lord, God, to soften our hearts, God, to be receptive. God, when you guide and lead our pastor, our man of God in our life to preach, God, even if it's something that we don't want to hear, Lord, help us to be receptive, to apply it to our lives, to let it lead and guide us and direct us and ultimately bring us into salvation. If you're going to let God do that in your life, why don't you give him a hand clap of praise all over this building? Paul's writing to Timothy was direct and to the point preceding his charge in chapter 4. He makes a grave warning in chapter 3 concerning what to expect in the last days. He says, and I quote, in most of this is, to be honest, quite discouraging because he's charging Timothy to stick with what he's been taught from the very beginning and to preach and not to waver. And most of chapter 3, as you'll see, as I'm getting ready to to, to read what he said in chapter 3, most of it is, is negative. Most of it is, I mean... If you tell me to tell a group of people and deliver a message, the last thing I want to hear is, oh, but by the way, they're not going to listen. Thanks a lot. That, I don't know about you, but that'd make me want to throw up my hands in the air and go, well, what's the use? Why am I going to waste my breath? Why am I going to spend hours and hours preparing to, to deliver a message to a group of people that's not going to listen to me? But he said to Timothy, he said, listen, when these things take place, don't budge, don't change, just keep preaching. He 
He said, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves and covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. I would have just taken, listen, you're going to be speaking to some hard-headed people. I mean, he goes on and describes them, and, and, and he said, you know, they're going to have a, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And he said, from such turn away, from of this sort they are which creep into houses and led captive silly women, taken with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to, become, uh, to, be, uh, to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, it's not because they don't understand. It's not because they're not comprehending what you're saying. They're ever learning, but they're just not able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Oh, boy. And then he goes on and he gives them examples. He said, now as Jonas and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be made manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Let me tell you, people that refuse to hear the truth will not succeed. I don't care how much they want to bring the church down, it will not happen. It will not happen. They will not succeed. Their folly shall come no further. I told you, now it's going to sound negative, but but I believe that there is a a group of people here. I'm not going to read uh, the the whole third chapter to you because I I feel different in the Holy Ghost. I believe if you look at the synopsis of chapter 3... He said to to Timothy, he said, let me tell you something. You commit what you have learned to a few faithful men. Give it unto a few faithful men who is able to teach others also. Let me tell you something. I don't care how many people there are that don't want to hear the truth. There's always going to be a group of people that say, listen to me. I want to hear you preach, pastor. Convict me, pastor. Tell me the way to go, pastor. Tell me the truth above all else. I don't care if I want to hear it. I don't care if it feels good. I need to be preach the truth too. I need to be told, pastor. Preach to me. It's the only thing that's going to save me. It's the only thing that's going to bring victorious power in my life is the truth. (laughs) He said, listen, there's going to come a day when they turn their ears away from the truth and turn them unto fables. He didn't say a fable. He said fables. Because broad is the way to destruction, but narrow is the way to eternal life. 
There's only one. I don't care what the spirit of this culture is saying. There's one way. There's only but There's one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Don't listen to that hogwash. Well, you just believe what you believe, and we're going to believe, and we're going to teach this, and where you just, no, 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 no. There's only one. There's only one. There's only one. There's only one. There's many fables. There's many fables, many stories, many ideologies, many theologies, many thoughts. But there's only one truth, Timothy. Don't turn away from the truth, Timothy. They're counting on you, Timothy. There's nothing that weighs on a preacher's mind more than to think that he's preaching to a deaf ear. You say, I can't relate. I don't know. I've I'm, I'm not been a pastor. I don't know. You got kids, don't you? Now, Johnny. But they got their kids at school. I don't care, Johnny. We don't do that in this house. We don't talk like that, talk like that in this house. Now, see, a lot of you are sitting there acting like your kids are angels right now. Come on. See, see you can relate to what a pastor goes through, talking, try, trying to deliver a message to someone who won't listen because you got, you got kids. And you wives got husbands. No, we don't listen to you half the time. If I forget my cell phone when I leave home to go to the store, I'm really in trouble because I'm calling my wife two-thirds of the time going, now what would you say to get again? She's like, my goodness, you don't listen to what I say, do you? I go, I listen, I just forgot. Well, I had too many other things on my mind. What would you say? So I know we can relate to what the pastor's going through when he's trying to deliver a message and it seems like it's hitting a deaf ear. Let me tell you, Timothy, be encouraged because there's going to be a few faithful men that say, hey, I need it. Give it to me. Give it to me straight. All you need is a few. All you need is a few. All you need is a few. You can build a church on just a few. Jesus Christ himself did it. He said, if I got to do it with 12, I'll do it with 12. I wonder how Jesus felt feeding the multitude, 5,000 people feeding them, making sure they had what they needed to have. They were hungry. The disciples said, we just need to let them go. He goes, no, no, just make them sit down. I'm going to give them what they need because they need to hear what I've got to say. And then somehow he ended up with from 5,000. The crowds were following him. The crowds were coming. And then by the day of Pentecost, he's down to 120. So much for a church growth plan. I don't 
don't care. Let me tell you, we're living in a generation where we're comparing churches, and this is a big church, this small church. I don't care. All I need is a few. Just give me a few, because I'd rather have a few faithful men than to have a crowd that's, that's just here for the bread and the fish. I need a Come on, somebody. I'm not just here for the bread and the fish and the Saturday night fish fries. I'm here because I need to be preached to. I don't want to be a deaf ear. I want to be an open ear. I want to have an open heart. Yeah, we need to listen. We need to listen to the voice of God that He put in our lives. The only time I give you permission not to listen to Him is if He tells you the Colts are better than the Cowboys. And listen, I'm not telling you to get rebellious. Don't get don't get an attitude about it. Just pray for Him until He receives revelation. You can support him even in the prayer room. Hit your knees. Say, God, give him the revelation. I got scripture and verse. The Cowboys is God's team. The Bible said when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Oh, man. I may not be invited back after taking the scripture out of context. I don't know. But I'm here to tell you, you have a pastor that loves you. You have a pastor that wants to see you make it to heaven. You've got a pastor that prays for you. You... you take it. Go home and read Acts 5. They were mad that, the, that Peter and the apostles were preaching Jesus. I'm talking about the, the so-called church leaders the doctorates of the law, they were mad. They kept telling them, don't preach Jesus. They took them to prison. God opened the prison. They got out. What'd they do? They kept preaching Jesus. They kept preaching the truth. They found out about it. They broke out of prison. They found out that there was a big prison escape. They go hunt them down. And as angry as they are were, the Bible said, They took them without violence. Why? Because they were nice guys? No. Because they wanted to take it easy on them? No. They want look and read through Acts 5. You'll see they conspired. They wanted, they they took counsel to buy the Bible says to slay them. They wanted to kill them. But they took them without violence. They took them to question them, but they said they said they took them without violence. Why? Because they feared the people that they should be stoned. See, sometimes the only thing standing between the pastor and the enemy that wants to take him out is the people. Let me tell you something. When the people backs their pastor... They say, devil, you want to mess with him? You're messing with me. 
You better fear because I'm going to be on your doorstep, devil. Don't you mess with my pastor. Don't you mess with him. The Bible said they feared the people that they should be stoned. Say, enemy, you might want to mess with him, but if you do, you're messing with all of us. You're messing with me because I'm going to come. I'm going to come between the enemy and my pastor. We ought to put the fear of God in the enemy heart, in the enemy's heart. The Bible said they ended up giving them kind of a beating after they got them away from the people, but they wanted to kill them. See, we can't necessarily stop every attack of the enemy against the man of God. We can't prevent every attack, but watch, we can limit its severity. As much as your pastor has to go through, let me tell you something. The enemy really wanted to do more, but he didn't. You know why? Because the people. Because somebody had hit their knees and came in between their enemy, the enemy, and their pastor and said, let me tell you, you're going to have to go through my prayers to do it. You're Times has, how many times has the enemy attacked leadership and it's been far worse than it needed to be because he didn't have the backing of the people? Can you imagine what they would have done with the apostles had they not feared the people? The fear people had scattered and said, you know what, I don't really care what he says. I, listen, we're not listening to him anyway. You do whatever you want with them. You don't have to fear us. It would have been a lot worse. Let me tell you something. You can, you can limit the severity of the enemy's attack on your pastor. Let me tell you. A lot of men. A lot of men. Whether it's through loss of burden or just, they're just worn out. They adjust their message to fit what they know is in popular demand. You know, the last time a man of God done that, which was Aaron... Gave the people what they wanted. They ended up with an idol. When you give the people what they want, they end up worshiping something else. But when you give it to them straight, you can, they'll understand that God is their only God that they can serve. Nothing in this world matters. why Jesus said the blind lead the blind shall they both fall into the ditch 
when you got a man of God who, who cowers down to pop culture and whatever's in demand, whatever's popular at the moment. The Bible said they both fall into the ditch. But we're not headed to a ditch, are we? We're headed to heaven. I need a man of God in my life. That's going to preach me into those pearly gates. No matter what it costs. There's always... Wasn't much positive going on into the letter of Timothy. It wasn't much encouragement, but it was just enough. He said, Commit it to a few faithful men who will who won't just listen. Because When we're trying to talk to somebody, sometimes all we want is just an open ear. We just want them to listen. But he said, listen, not that they'll just listen. But I'm going to give you something extra. He said, they'll teach others also. See, I, I believe that I'm in a congregation who doesn't just have an open ear, but they're willing to open their mouth. See, he's duplicating himself. He's replicating. Ah, you, you, don't listen to the lie of the enemy. You are something in God. You can be a leader. You can be a... You can speak forth the word of God. It's not just the pastor. You have it in you. It's been poured into you. And you can deliver it to your world. know about you but I that had to perk his ears up because everything else he's hearing is they're just high minded they're heady they they think too much of themselves all these people but by the way you're going to have a few that's not just going to listen to you I bet you I bet you that made Timothy go home that night and prepare double time for his next message because he knew I just need a few. And those few, they're not just going to listen. They're going to go out to their world and reach them as well. I know it had to have. I've often heard this. I know what people mean when they say it. But it's not true. And I know what they mean, but they say truth. Have you ever heard the expression, truth hurts, don't it? I've had it said to me a time or two. Oh, yeah, truth hurts, don't it? I got to thinking about that. 
One day I'm reading in Acts 7 when Stephen was before the council. And he said something to those men. The Bible said it cut them to their heart. They gnashed with their teeth. He said, you always did resist the Holy One, just like your forefathers. You want to talk about making someone mad. And when he said that, When I read that, instantly, I understood that it wasn't truth that hurts or causes pain. Truth doesn't hurt any. The Bible says, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Freedom doesn't hurt. You want to know what hurts? It's not truth. It's the resistance of it. If what's being said to you is hurting you, it's probably not what's being said that's inflicting the pain. It's the resistance to... It's the resistance of what's being said to you. But if you get along with it and say, yeah, that's what I believe. I preach that to me, preacher. I'm not resisting anymore. You'd find out that the truth doesn't hurt a bit. The truth sets you free. My dad taught me a thing about fighting. He said, man, when you're in a fight, he goes, you go down to the ground, you're wrestling. He goes, someone pulls your hair. He goes, our instinct is to get away. He said, but if you pull in the other direction, it's going to hurt twice as bad. He said, it's just best just to go with it. If someone pulls your hair, go with, go with the direction that they're pulling. It's not going to hurt as bad because you're... Because what happens is when they're pulling this way, you're pulling this way. It's really the resistance that's causing all that pain. It's not, it's, it, if you just go with it. Let me tell you something. It might feel like the preacher's got you by the hair of the head. Just go with it sometimes. All you got to do is. I don't know what his pastor did because he couldn't grab That's why he's out of hair. He he finally learned it was a little too late. So trust him when he says, listen to me, trust him. It's the resistance of truth. See, we, we live in a day where people expect God to adjust his principles to fit their lifestyle and what they want. See, in Revelation 21, 14, John the Revelator reveals the blueprint of the New Jerusalem having 12 foundations with the name of the 12 disciples in them. The 12 disciples were foundational in the birth of the church. Hence, we have in Revelation, when it says there was 12 foundations with the disciples' names, it was a mirroring effect of the foundational work of the church on earth. It reflected what happened in heaven. The blueprint of heaven was a mirroring effect of this church he established on earth. Watch what happens. When Judas sinned, 
uh-oh, now there's 11. There's 11 disciples. Because Judas is backslid. He sold Jesus up the river. And now we're at 11. Watch what God did not do. God did not go up to heaven in New Jerusalem and redesign the city to have 11 foundations so that it could be in balance again. Well, there's 11 disciples. I've got a, I had it set up perfect. There was 12. I had 12 foundations in New Jerusalem. It was perfect. Now Judas, he's messed it all up. He's went, he sold, he sold Jesus down the river and now it's all messed up and now it's out of balance. He said, well, I don't know about you, but I ain't changing. I'm not changing New Jerusalem. You go find another disciple. Well, why don't you just adjust heaven to reflect the shortcoming of mankind? Nope, don't work that way, pal. You go get a new disciple because I need you to adjust yourselves To fit what I designed. I'm not. I'm not changing heaven. I'm not changing my word to fit you. If there's been a shortcoming in your life. I've got grace and mercy to cover that. But there's going to have to be some adjustments. On your part. But we want heaven to adjust to us. And God's saying, no, it doesn't work that way. You ought to have conviction in your heart that says, I want to reflect heaven. I want to reflect heaven. I don't want God to adjust his principles for me and what I lacked and my failure. I want to adjust my lifestyle to him and to his word. wondered why they went and got Matthias as a 12th disciple. Because you, you got to adjust yourselves to reflect how I designed heaven to be. I don't adjust heaven for you. You adjust you for me. See, people people who believe Grace somehow doesn't means that law and how I live doesn't matter. See, grace just brings a man from simply living by a list of rules to living for God through relationship. It's about, it's about relationship. It's not about just a set of rules. It's about a relationship. God's laws are unique. Listen, God's laws are unique. From any other set of laws on the, on that, that designed and created by man. In the respect, James 2.10 says, It only takes offending in one point to be guilty of all. What kind of law is that? It takes offending in one point and then I'm guilty of it all? Can you imagine that? What, I mean, can you imagine our law being designed that way? You get caught for speeding, all of a sudden you're in court for murder? Because 
you messed up in one part of the law, now you gotta, you're guilty of it all. But on the contrary, it is also unique. <laughs> because it only takes keeping one to fulfill them all. Because Jesus said, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And this fulfills the law. So people that have a problem with parts of, of the law, really, they don't, well, they got a lust problem. No, no, they got a loving God problem. Because we want to pick out one aspect of the law. Jesus said, if you love me with all your heart, soul, and might, you will fulfill all the law. It will be within you to want to live according to my principles when you have a love for me. So people don't have, oh, they're just missing church. They just don't care. It's a, they got a, what, they got a missing church? No, no, they got a loving God problem. I don't care what it is. Whatever it is, their problem is it all points back. They just, they got to get a love for God. Because when you get a love for God, you'll have no problem. Adjusting your life to the rest. God gave me a dream. It was in 2015. In this dream, I remember I will, in my dream, I walked into a church. And in this vision, God gave me a vision in this dream. I saw, now this church that I walked into, I didn't recognize the building. It wasn't my church, it wasn't this church, it was, it was a church. But it wasn't, I didn't, in my mind, in my, in my dream, I didn't have a picture of a specific building. And I think God was intentionally not letting me recognize the building because he, he didn't want me to think that what he was giving me was for that specific church. This was for the church in general. It was just a church building. I just remember when I walked in, nothing much happened in the dream. The only thing that I remember in the dream was I walked in and all the pews were backward. They were facing the other way. I remember waking up just bewildered like, what in the world? I kind of felt like it was a dream from God because... I just felt that. It was, I, I knew it was from God. It wasn't just a dream. It wasn't just like, you know, you had a dream. You went to Six Flags and they had closed down the big stroller coaster. And, you know, no, it wasn't that. It was a serious dream. I knew it. But I didn't know what in the world it meant. So I began... Later that night, I... The next night, it was a Saturday night. The next day, I had decided to go visit my brother's church in Spencer, Indiana. So I drove down, went to their service. 
my brother was at the podium and he was not preaching, it was during worship service, but he had made reference to Acts 7 and, and it was Stephen. He said something and kind of triggered a thought, so I was having a conversation with a lady in his church afterwards. We went and got something to eat and I was having this conversation and I told this lady about my dream. And she said something, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it, when she said what she said, it sparked my understanding as to what God was trying to tell me with the pews being facing backwards. And what he was saying, he said, this is the time that this, there's a spirit in the church where the people have turned their ears away. From the pulpit. That's powerful to me. What she said helped me understand like. That's it. The pews backwards. Was a sign of a spirit in the church. That had caused the people's ears. To be turned away from what was preached. And their eyes fixed on the world. And now, what my brother had said in the service, God began to deal with me about Stephen. Because Stephen was one of those men in his day that had a backbone to stand up and tell the truth. And they didn't like it. And they had him before the council. They begin to put him on trial. They begin to throw all kinds of accusations at him. That he was a blasphemer. Interestingly enough, every accusation that they had hurled his way, it was actually they that were guilty of what they were blaming him for. I grew up in church and I knew the story, but if... I just kind of imagine myself having read that story for the first time. I'm thinking, oh man, Stephen, he ought to just rise up and say, you're the one, you, it's you, he, and, and, and defend himself and deny. He didn't, you know, he did not take the time. Read it, and it's in Acts 7. He never defended himself at all. He didn't defend himself. He didn't deny it. He did, not that it was true, uh, and, and he couldn't deny it. He could have denied it. He just didn't deny anything. He just began to tr- preach to them the truth. He, and that's when he said, you always did resist the Holy One, just as your forefathers did. And, and the Bible says, as he began to, to speak to them, the Bible said they stopped up their ear. See, this all goes back to my dream because the pews being backwards was a sign of ears being stopped and I don't want to hear it anymore. And this is what we see in that day. The Bible said they stopped up their ears and they raised their voices. 
So what should have been closed was opened, and what should have, what was should have been opened was closed. They begin to open their mouths and raise their voices. Because listen, they didn't want to hear what he had to say. It's just like I had my little brother when he was little. He'd he'd be mad. So he'd, you ever seen a little kid close their ears? And because closing is not good enough, they got a look. My little brother was doing that one time. I go, can you hear me? And he goes, no. I said, how do you know I'm talking then? He goes, I don't. But they begin to stop their ears. Maybe I took a funny note I shouldn't have. Listen. They stopped their ears and they started raising their voices up over Stephen's. To where they could not hear him. Now here it is. Listen. The music can come because I'm almost finished. Listen to me very carefully. They got their ears closed. Their voices are raised. And they take off stoning them. I don't know how they stopped their ears at the same time. Stones. Maybe that's why they raised their voices because they had to take their ears, hands off their head so they could pick up the stones to cast judgment on. And listen, Stephen says one of the most, one of the most graceful, it was one of the greatest displays, if not the greatest display of grace outside of Calvary when he said these words now imagine they don't want to hear him they're stoning he says lay not this sin to their charge and here's what God showed me here's what God showed me tragically None of them heard him say it. It's recorded in scripture that that's what he said. Because that's divinely inspired. God knows all. It's there in scripture. But you got to put yourself in that moment. There is a crowd of people with their voices raised above the man of God's. Their ears are stopped. Their ears are closed. Their mouths are open. They're stoning him. He's praying for them at the same time. And the tragic thing is, they don't even hear him say it. And that's when the Holy Ghost gave me this revelation. And here it is. And I want to give it to you. He said, if you close your ears to the voice of correction, you're not positioned to hear the voice of grace either. 
if you close your ears to the voice of correction, by default, you are not positioned to receive the voice of grace either. So what a display of grace. But because of deaf ears, that grace was wasted. It was wasted. So I don't know about you, but if I had that kind of ought in my heart towards somebody, and then I heard them praying for me, if I heard them praying for me, it would turn my heart. It would do something within a man. But they never heard him say it. So if you want to be able to receive grace, you've got to be able to receive correction. And when you're open to correction, then and only then can you hear, lay not this sin. Why don't you stand all over this building? If you want to hear God say, because I believe He'll stand on the day of judgment. People may even feel guilty and go, I'm not worthy. And He'll go, No, what sin? What sin? I'm here to extend mercy because you were open to receive correction. Granting you grace. And because you're in the position to receive it. What about everybody else? Isn't the grace of God the grace of God? It covers all. Yeah. But if you're closed off. To when God asks something of you. And you don't want to hear it. And you've stopped your ear. And you've raised your voice over top of his. You're not in the position to hear. Welcome in, thou good and faithful servant. You've got to be willing to open yourself for convicting. Because God can then position you to where you can receive the mercy of God. This altar's open. Like I said, I'm trying to end on a note where there's a positive, a positive note here. The positive note is this. If you have shut yourself off, God wants you to know that He's extended mercy to you. Where if you open yourself up back to Him, you can receive the whole message. It's not just, oh, grace of God, grace will cover you. You gotta have the correction too. You gotta have the conviction too. 
So that's my invitation to you today. Are you willing to say whatever it is? Whatever it is, Pastor, I'll get behind you. I want my heartbeat to be in sync with yours. Because I know you pray for me, Pastor. But I can't really feel those prayers if I've closed off other areas of my life. I'm not in the position to receive in your prayer. When you lay at night and you cry tears, like Stephen, I believe he was crying tears for those people, saying, lay not this sin to their charge. He was probably doing it through hurt. He was probably doing it through pain, most likely. I mean, it doesn't take, you know, a very smart person to figure that out when stones are being pummeled at you, that you're going through pain and hurt and torture. But still, nevertheless, through all of that, he's laying there in tears praying for those people lay not this sin to their charge but none of them heard it I want you to hear the cries of your pastor but you need to hear the correction of your pastor you need to hear the correction of your pastor if you want to hear the cries of your pastor on your behalf come to this altar right now not calling a particular person or a particular group of people. Maybe we as a church, all of us need to be coming to this altar. Come on, there's one. I know there's more. Come on. Come on, you got a pastor that prays for you. 